It's December 3rd, 2020, and this is Zero Politics. Unbelievable, people. It's really unbelievable what's happening in the United States right now. Let me tell you what exactly I'm talking about. What is happening that's really got me upset, and I'm, I'm, I don't know anything else to do except for spend hours on this podcast debunking the BS that's out there right now. What's got me upset is what's going on with regard to these hundreds of affidavits, the hearings in front of uh, legislatures in Michigan, in Arizona, in Pennsylvania, the lawsuits that have been filed in Georgia, Arizona, and Michigan. I'm telling you, when you, when you get rid of all of the extraneous lawsuits that were filed before the election, which was like 20 or 30, that weren't even related to Trump's legal team, but which the mainstream media keeps saying were thrown out of court for lack of evidence and, had to, and were put forward by Trump's legal team, but weren't. When you get rid of all of those and don't pay attention to those, and, and when I say don't pay attention to them, I don't mean they weren't important. Most of them were thrown out by lack of, because of lack of standing, not because of a lack of evidence or because of the merits of the case. When you stop focusing on those and just look at the three lawsuits by Sidney Powell in Georgia, in uh, Michigan, and in Arizona, and you look at the hearings in Michigan and Pennsylvania and Arizona, both from Giuliani and held by the legislatures in those states without Giuliani. He, he didn't have anything to do with some of these hearings. And you look at these sworn affidavits and the testimony given before these uh, legislatures, you, you cannot come away from those, watching those, over 20 hours, and say that there's just no evidence of fraud. You can't. Now listen, this show is a critical thinking course in politics. The whole point of this show is not for me to give my personal political opinions. I didn't vote for Trump. I'm not a Trump supporter. Many of these sworn affidavits were signed and written and signed by Democrats. Many of them minorities and immigrants Immigrants who happened to be working for their respective cities on, a, on the night of the election counting votes. One of them in the state of Michigan worked for two months in the center where they were taking in um, ballots, giving ballots and taking them in from voters over the two months prior to the election. Her testimony was absolutely fascinating. How anyone could watch, listen to her testimony, a woman born and raised in India who came to the United States of her own free will because she wanted freedom, and here she is before this legislature, almost in tears, thanking America for freedom. And I'm not, I'm a voluntarist. I don't even believe in America. I'm not here because I'm some patriot. I'm not. I don't like state worship. I don't care about America. I care about the ideas of liberty, personally, on a personal level. So this show isn't here to try and advocate for any political party or political opinion. I'm apolitical by my very nature. 
my point here is as an objective viewer of these, of, particularly this lady, but all of these, uh, many of these people, not all of them, some of them I thought were, you know, there were some of the, some of the eyewitnesses who I felt were a bit antagonistic or clearly incredibly biased and probably I wouldn't trust them as being unbiased um, uh, witnesses. But this woman in particular, her name was uh, Jesse Jacobs, and the other people who were with Giuliani in front of the legislature there in Michigan just recently, I mean, I don't see how you can't watch that and come away thinking this woman, at risk to her own reputation, who's worked for the state ever since she came to America, and I think she said 85 or something, immigrated, and is clearly, because she said it over and over again, extremely thankful for being able to come to America, being able to pursue her life um, and seeking freedom. And she mentioned religious freedom and other uh, forms of freedom. And she, what she saw in her capacity as a vote uh, tabulator during the two months leading up to the election and then during the vote counting process um, on November 3rd and 4th, what she ex- describes as having seen is nothing short of massive fraud. And um, I'm, I'm, disposed, I'm predisposed to believe her because given when you listen to her, there's just simply no reason to, whatsoever to believe that she's lying or making this up. She seems like one of the most honest people you've ever heard. Her heart's in the right place. She's almost... She almost was crying when she was giving thanks to the legislature there. Even the people who were being mean to her, there were a couple people, representatives, who were being mean to her, almost threatening. And she was being super kind and overwhelming, I'm sorry, overflowing with gratitude to be a citizen in the United States, saying over and over again, she she doesn't want to make trouble. She doesn't want to hurt anybody. She just wanted to tell the truth about what she saw. How any, most people in the United States aren't going to watch any of this. They're not going to read the lawsuits like I have. They're not going to listen to the testimony. They're not going to read affidavits. And among the people who are paying attention, the people who are engaged politically, even most of them won't do that. Most of them are just reading tweets from their favorite representatives, their favorite partisans, and then retweeting them. Most people are just living in their echo chamber, pulling out a couple quotes here and there, pulling out you know, a couple clips they saw on the news or on some late night com- comedic talk show, and they think that represents what's happening in these hearings and so on. They're just taking the media's word for it when they say, oh, all, those, all, all the cases that Giuliani's brought before courts have just been thrown out for lack of merit. Yeah, over 30 cases. Really? Did you look at those cases? Was Giuliani involved in any of them? No, he wasn't. They're lying to you. Trump's team wasn't involved in those cases. And the one case that was removed, that Giuliani was a part of putting forward, was removed. They were fine with that because they already got what they wanted in that case. 
And their other cases are going forward. And Sidney Powell's cases are still going forward. And I'm telling you, as someone who is objective, who doesn't have a dog in the hunt, doesn't have a horse in the race, legitimately doesn't care because I don't think Trump and uh, Biden are even that different in the grand scheme of things. I think they're both basically typical Republican Democrat corporate chills, corporate socialist, basically. Okay, so I don't even care. I'm telling you objectively, when you listen to these people and you take it seriously and you read the documents, there's just no possible way that an objective, honest person can come away trusting an American election, period. Now, having said that, what I'm going to do, because this show is a critical thinking course in politics that analyzes arguments from politicians, press, and partisans, and seeks to show the underlying logical fallacies involved in those arguments, and not just a place for me to you know, give my opinion or talk about news and say, oh, this is what happened in the news today, and this is my opinion on it. That's not what this show is about. Since it's about logical fallacies, I'm going to point out the logical fallacies that have been a part of the arguments being used by those who are trying to dismiss these affidavits, uh, the witnesses who have signed them, and the hearings before the legislatures, okay? There have been a number of arguments that have been used in an attempt to belittle or make less of these arguments. And the fact is that most people know in the media that, again, most Americans aren't paying attention to what these people are actually saying. They're not watching the testimony and so on. So they know all they have to do is sum it up by saying, one of the following arguments, which are completely logically fallacious. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play some clips that are examples of people utilizing these sorts of logically fallacious arguments in an attempt to rebuttal some of the uh, t- testimony, witness testimony, given just yesterday. I believe it was yesterday. Now, before I do that, let me tell you that there was uh, five hours of testimony, okay? And I was tempted to actually just play most of that and then do commentary, which would take me about 10 hours of time sitting here recording. And you would end up with a five-hour-long, well, probably a four- to five-hour-long episode or something to listen to. And, and I just don't want to do that. And so what I've decided to do is rather than take all the, all the quotes and all of the clips that I could use from this testimony, because it was so good and because there was so much of it, I would just end up playing... 20-minute long segments, particularly the opening first hour, which was essentially, or maybe 45 minutes, which was one woman's testimony, the woman from India I mentioned earlier, which was fantastic. I would just end up playing the entire thing virtually and then commenting on it. So I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that there was a woman who was an independent contractor who was working for Dominion Voting in Michigan, okay? Wayne County, Detroit, I believe, is where she was. And she was working, uh, uh, she was two of two contractors who were chosen through a temp agency to work for um, Dominion Voting. She happens to be uh, an IT specialist. It sounds like she was laid off from Ford. She had a really good job. She ended up having to work for a temp agency. And she took a job for Dominion through that agency. Okay. To cut to the chase, what she saw was one of the, she said she saw 25 different counts of fraud, 
happen in front of her, 25 different counts. And by that, some of those counts included thousands of, she said, actually 30,000 likely cases of fraud that she witnessed in just one of those counts. And one of those counts was the taking of ballots that had already been run through the machine and tabulated and running them through again multiple times. She said she felt like this was being done in error by the people working the tabulation machines, but under orders from their supervisors. So the supervisors from the state said, here's how you do it, and they were just doing what they were told. And what she said was happening was you would run a stack of 50 uh, votes through the tabulator at once, and then let's say it got to the number 40 um, uh, in that stack. So the stack of 50 is being run through, the 50th or the 40th um, ballot has a problem, gets jammed, has an issue, doesn't read properly. And so it stops at 40 or it spits all 50 through and then it stops at 40. One of the other, she didn't delineate exactly how it happened, but she did say this. It would, the, the machine would throw an error. So you would see an error on the screen saying uh, ballot number uh, th- 40 was uh, problematic and valid. There was an error with it. Please feed it through again. She said they were taking the entire stack, which would include the 39 previously correctly counted ballots, and running those through again, along with that number 40 that the machine said to run through again because there was a problem with it. So rather than just taking uh, ballot number 40 out, she said over and over again, hundreds of times in front of her for the two days she was working, which by the way, this was not her. She, was, she wasn't the person working the machine. She was an IT specialist there working for Dominion. She would see them run all those ballots through and get tabulated a second time, which means they were getting counted duplicate times, multiple times. She said sometimes it was more than twice. It would be two or three times. So she said that when she saw that, she went and talked to her supervisor, who was one of the, one of the uh, apparently co-owners of Dominion. He got really upset with her and said, it's not your job, basically, to wonder what's happening or to ask those kinds of questions. We let them run. We let them run the tabulator. We let them do it. And we don't say a word about that. Okay. So that's just one case of fraud that she saw out of, I believe she said 25, that she cited in her sworn affidavit under penalty of perjury. So what happened was she shared that story among a few other stories, but she shared that one story as being an example of where she saw up to 30,000 ballots duplicated, counted twice, okay, if, if what she's saying is true. And a lot of people on Twitter took one part of her testimony at the end where she was really being antagonistically questioned by one of the Democrat representatives He was just being mean to her and she kind of, she got aggressive with him too. She put it back in his face basically. And so they took that little sample of the, her video of her doing that. And they said, look at this, this drunk woman. This is the tweet I saw. This drunk woman is Giuliani's star witness. Okay. First of all, she wasn't the star witness. Secondly, she wasn't drunk. That's clear when you watch the whole proceeding. Finally, 
they took as an example of this woman's testimony one little small portion out of the end when she was being harassed by one of the Democratic legislators who was questioning her in an unfair way, I think. And she, you know, fought back a little bit. They took that out as representative of her entire testimony, which was ridiculous. So now you're going to have all these Democrats who never do, and I mean, by the way, I would say the exact same thing for Republicans. But these people don't do their own research. They don't look into it. They don't question it. So they don't go watch the testimony, primarily because they're afraid they might be proved wrong. That's the psychology behind this. People don't ever want to be presented with information that might disagree with their preconceived notions. And it's absolutely vital as human beings that we get rid of that tendency. We have to become comfortable in the face of having our preconceived uh, assumptions, our presuppositions uh, challenged. We have to become comfortable with that. We have to become, and, and by the way, that is, there's many reasons why people fail in life. And one of those reasons, there's a big reason why people fail in business and so many other things. It's because they are incapable of allowing themselves to be challenged. So just on a side note, don't be that kind of person, okay? Because you're going to continue to fail in life if you're that kind of person. Now, I just had to pause this show because I had an interruption, but, but let me jump back in here. And first of all, I don't know why I got off on the tangent about her particular story, but it's, it's, it was really an excellent story. And the fact is, uh, the, the way that some who I, on Twitter, who I saw criticizing her, it was based entirely on just a snippet of her, uh, testimony taken out of context with regard to her being challenged by this Democrat in kind of an unfair and antagonistic way. And she kind of fought back with them. And so it was sort of taken out of context and really had nothing to do with the whole of her testimony or with the affidavit and all the counts of fraud that she claims to have seen. So those people on Twitter were engaging in a logically fallacious argument, uh, an ad hominem attack on her personally by calling her drunk, which was a lie in the first place but a personal ad hominem attack, someone isn't proved wrong. Their, their testimony isn't simply wrong just because they're drunk. Not to mention the fact that she was drunk is not true. That was uh, a lie. Uh, so it's a fallacious argument to just attack someone personally and say, oh, they're drunk or they're crazy or something as absurd as they're, I don't know, um, they work for a big mega corporation or they're homeless and on the street or any kind of personal attack that you make has no bearing on whether or not their testimony is true or whether or not someone's argument is true. It's a logically fallacious argument, but it's used all the time in political discourse online. Okay, that one's pretty obvious, right? I shouldn't have to say that, but a lot of people still there can, they, we still, we have this tendency psychologically, even though we know that kind of argument is wrong and wouldn't pass muster in a court of law or that sort of thing, but we still get into accepting those kinds of arguments. We allow them um, on our news feeds and we, we celebrate them. We laugh at them. We, you know, we, we like them when we see them in our news feeds because we think they're funny because they agree with us. But when those same sorts of arguments, those fallacious ad hominem attacks are used by the other side against us, then we get all angry and upset and start talking about logic and how you know, everyone needs to be logical and that's a fallacious argument. It needs to go both ways, right? It, it needs to go both ways. 
So I'm going to leave that because I'll just keep talking about that forever. But so I want to play a clip from the legislator who was questioning the Indian woman I spoke about earlier. And this is really important because he uses a really fallacious attempt to rebuttal her. Representative C.A. Johnson, why don't you go ahead? Thank you, Mr. Chair. Okay. Good evening. Good evening, Ms. Johnson. You... Now, let me pause this for a minute and just say I wasn't expecting to play play her testimony or I'm sorry, her questions. This is a female legislator. I don't know her name. Uh, It's not. It's Representative Johnson in in the state of Michigan. And I wasn't expecting to play her question, but I'm going going to go ahead and play it. Uh, I I, I'm kind of uh, I, I didn't pull these clips beforehand. So I'm just going to go with whatever I have. I believe after she's done, then another Democrat legislator questions her. And uh, that's the guy I was thinking about. But I'm going to let her play through and, and we'll see what she and has to say. Is Jesse Jacob. Je- Jesse Jacobs. Is that your birth name? Okay. She's asking her name. And now I remember because I listened to this before. I remember what her question was. She just asks her name which is really interesting, but listen to how this goes down. So she's asking this woman's name, a name, by the way, she already has. It's in the sworn affidavit. It's in the documents for the hearing. She already has her name, but she's not sure about her name. And I think it's because this, the woman is Indian. And so she is assuming, this uh, Representative Johnson, that because she has an English or American-sounding name, it can't be her real name. So she's questioning her on that. And I believe she's, she thinks she may be, you know, catching her in a lie using false identity or something like that. Let's listen. I don't know. I can't. I'm not reading her mind. I don't know what Representative Johnson is really thinking. But I do think it's kind of funny. Listen to this. Okay. My first name is Jesse. When I was married, my husband's last name is Jacob. When I got married in 1983, 37 years ago, I had my maiden name. That's my dad's house name. It's a long name. Can you spell it, please? K-I, K-I, Kite, I-Z-H-A, K-E-K-A-R-A. Representative, uh, what is your question, please? I'm asking the... So the, the chairman's going, okay, why are you asking? He's really skeptical. He's like, what is your question? And she says, I'm asking her name. And uh, he's like, okay, well, get to your question because you already know her name. Now you're asking her for her maiden name. It's just a little sketchy. You know, it seems a little obtrusive. It almost seems kind of threatening, which he gets to. Now, I'm not saying that it is, okay, I'm not going there. It's just kind of interesting uh, that she is even asking her uh, about her name, her real name, uh, and her maiden name, and then writing it down. She's writing down her maiden name as well. And just side note, if you're wondering why her voice sounds muffled, the, the Indian woman who's speaking, she's originally from India, uh, the reason why is because she's wearing a mask. Okay. Jen. Well, please ask. She gave a lot of information. I, I just want to know who and, she is. Um, it, uh, representative, please, it's, it's reasonable to ask the name of the person. Yes. I'm with you there. 
but now that you know it. What's your first? What was your first name? What? Jesse. Jesse. J- Thank you. E- J-E-S-S-Y, not E. J-E-S-S-Y. Y. Thank you very much. Okay, now please move on to your question, Representative. That's it. You asked okay. that one. Thank you. Uh, Representative. Got to say, I think that the Republican chairman is being a bit of a jerk, the way he's talking to her. Okay, now please move on with your question, please, Representative. I mean, come on. It, you know, you can feel the antagonism here between the Republicans and the Democrats. And my middle name is Sunny. My middle name is Sunny. Yeah, I remember she went out of her way to actually share her maiden name as well. And I mean, her middle name. Uh, C.A. Johnson. I mean, if that was, you know, I mean, we're not here to intimidate people. I mean, these are... That's okay. That's okay. Okay. I mean, we want to hear what happened. Um, So, Representative Camilleri, uh, please proceed with your question. This is where it gets nasty. Um, Mr. Giuliani, you, before you began... I'm going to gavel this. The question is for the witness. As I told you at the end, you're you're able to ask a question to Mr. Giuliani. We have two, three people actually before our panel today. Representative... Before uh, our panel. And I know that you gave your power away to Mr. Giuliani to ask questions during this part of the testimony, that's fine, but it is now my right as a representative to ask a question of the people before our committee. This is not for... This is not of order. This is if not for seasons landscaping. Question, this is a committee of, of the state legislature. I should have a right to ask a question of who is before us. I will allow you to ask a question at the end of Mr. Giuliani, as I stated at the beginning. If you have a question for the witness, uh, Ms. Ms. Jacob, please ask it. If you don't, then I'm going to move on. Uh, Ms. Jacobs, I know that you've given testimony previously. We've heard your story in the media. I know that you gave testimony yesterday as well. Judge Kenny in Wayne County Circuit Court. May I ask? He has testimony yesterday. Now, here's where they have a bit of a disagreement. This woman did not give testimony yesterday, and this woman has never given testimony before a court of law, and no, um, no court or judge has made any statements regarding her but this guy either has her mixed up with somebody else and i'm not going to get into the details it's possible he has her mixed up with someone else i'm not sure but it doesn't matter with regard to showing where his argument is fallacious and i'm going to get to that in a minute but let's let's hear him out though judge kenny in wayne county circuit court may i ask he has testimony yesterday I, I apologize. Okay. I apologize. Yeah, a representative, I apologize. please I apologize. tell us your That's question. Very misleading. Um, uh, you've asked a lot of misleading questions yourself, Mr. Representative Camilleri, please, what is your question? My question, Ms. Jacobs, is uh, Judge Kenny has ruled that your testimony in court is incorrect and not credible. So why should we believe anything that you said here today? I, I, I'm, that is not true. I'm not aware of any such ruling. She's never been a witness in court. It would have been impossible for a judge to Your rule. affidavit was ruled may I, may I please finish? incorrect and not credible. May I have the courtesy of uh, finishing? No. What, 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 she has never been a witness in court, so no judge could ever have assessed her credibility. Uh, what is your question, Mr. Camilleri? Why are we listening to your story here today if it has already been ruled incorrect and not credible by a judge in court? Okay. Did you hear what he just asked? He just asked a question that is known as basically begging the question. Uh, it's, it's a stupid, meaningless question that assumes that which he's trying to prove. As though by challenging her on this level, he's saying basically what a child would say. Why should I listen to you and not somebody else? Okay. He's assuming that which he's trying to prove. As though challenging 
her in that way somehow disproves her or makes her testimony, you know, uncredible for some reason. What he's saying doesn't make any sense. Why should we listen to you and somebody else? Well, that's what I've been trying to tell you in my testimony for the last hour. First of all, secondly, she's not telling him that she has to, that he has to listen to her and not somebody else. I'm sure what she would say is, um, no, I'd like you to listen to me and whoever else you want to listen to both of us and make up your own mind. He thinks that somehow just by asking this question, why should we listen to you and not somebody else, that he's somehow invalidating her testimony. But I could ask the same, I could ask that of anybody. I could ask that of an eyewitness to any, anything that happened. Well, why should I listen to you? Well, why shouldn't I listen to you? Why shouldn't we listen to them? That's a viable question too. But he thinks that simply by asking that question, he's somehow casting doubt on her testimony, which is circular reasoning. But he also brings up this issue with the judge, which is an appeal to authority, okay, which is a logical fallacy. Look it up. When you appeal to authority, you haven't proven anything. Simply appealing to authority doesn't prove anything in and of itself. Now, you can use that along with a lot of other evidence. You can, you can have expert testimony in court, multiple testimonies from expert witnesses on an issue, and then you can bundle that together with circumstantial evidence of various kinds and build a case, and from a preponderance of evidence, you can perhaps prove your case, okay, beyond a reasonable doubt, But the simple fact of the matter is, on its face alone, appealing to authority doesn't prove anything. Just because a judge, let's say a judge did say that about her, and I question, based on what she said and Giuliani and, you know, what they had to say, which is that she's never sworn testimony before, so no judge could have assessed her credibility before, but let's say a judge had. Why should we trust the judge? So the judge says, no, she's uncredible. If you go back and listen to her testimony, and then you decide, a judge telling you she's uncredible is meaningless. It has no more weight than any other argument based on someone's authority or based on uh, someone's opinion. Now, this goes to uh, these court cases that have, quote-unquote, been thrown out due to lack of merit. Or when people say, oh, judges have already, judges looked at those cases and said they they uh, didn't have enough evidence or laughed them out of court. You hear things like this on Twitter. Oh, they were laughed out of court and stuff like that. Almost always completely erroneous. They've never gone and actually read the court documents. They've never read the decisions, the opinions of the court. And I have. And when you go back and read them, oftentimes you find out it's completely different than the, than the way the mainstream media or people on Twitter have made them out to be. You go find out that, okay, this was thrown out because it wasn't uh, filed in time or it was filed at the wrong time or the person who filed it doesn't have legal standing. A lot of cases are thrown out for legal standing issues. My point is just because a case is thrown out, even if it was thrown out because a court says it doesn't have merit, doesn't mean it doesn't have merit. The court isn't the final arbiter of truth. That's why there's appeals courts That's why things can get leveled up all the way to the Supreme Court. Because sometimes experts are wrong. Sometimes judges and courts are incorrect. Or sometimes they're politically motivated. 
Now, I'm not saying he doesn't have a right to bring this up. I think it's a fine, completely credible thing to bring up to say, why should we listen to you when a, when a judge apparently has said that your testimony doesn't carry weight? He can bring that up. What I'm saying is it doesn't have a lot of weight for me as someone who thinks logically and rationally. What has more weight is if he actually talked about why the judge made that decision. So let's say the judge did say that. If instead of just quoting the judge, he actually went through the five reasons, let's say it was five reasons the judge had, and he listed those reasons as to why her, her um, witness testimony was considered to be unfactual or problematic in some way, then that would have some weight. Give me the details. Tell me why. Did the judge even have any? Did the judge actually say this in the first place? We don't know. But if he did, on what basis? And by the way, let me tell you something. In other cases, the judges considered uh, people's testimony to not be credible or valuable or to not carry weight merely because there weren't other people who were saying the same thing or giving the same testimony. Did you know that? Which, by the way, is a completely logically fallacious argument. You don't throw out someone's testimony just because there's not corroborating evidence. Just because you don't have other... Especially if you haven't done the due diligence to go out and find... If there hasn't been an investigation, how do we know there aren't other credible witnesses who would say the same thing? You have witness uh, testimony from A, and they say... X, Y, and Z happened. And you say, well, X, Y, and Z didn't happen. Their testimony is not credible because I haven't heard anyone else say X, Y, and Z happened. Okay, but have you gone and asked other people? Have you done an investigation to find out if X, Y, and Z happened? To find out if there's other people willing to testify to that? And it's not a judge's job to go find those other people. So when a judge uses that argument, what he's saying is basically... Hey, I haven't gone and find out, found out if this is true, and no one else has done an investigation, and since we don't know, I'm just going to assume that what this person is, is saying isn't true because no one else has said it, even though I haven't gone out and done my due diligence to find out if anyone else uh, would say it. I haven't asked anyone else. I haven't investigated it. A judge should never use that argument. A judge can only use that argument if there's been a proper investigation, and those people who have investigated have come back and said, we've talked to 500 eyewitnesses or whatever the number is, however many people were there, we've talked to all the eyewitnesses. No one else corroborates the story. So we're going to say it looks like the story isn't true. But that's not what happened in this case. In this case, due to an, with another witness, the judge simply said, without any investigation having been done, oh, it can't be true because no other people came forward and said X, Y, and Z. And also on top of that, guess what? Turns out that judge wasn't being honest. There are many other witnesses who said that it happened. And we find that out in this hearing right here, where we had one person give testimony. One of the Democrat legislators challenges them and says, well, a judge said that because no other credible witnesses have come forward and said the same thing you said, that therefore your testimony can't be credible. And he threw out your court and case in court. And then it turns out in this very hearing, multiple witnesses come forward and say, no, I'm a witness who saw the exact same thing. I was there that night. I can validate what they said in their testimony. I saw the same thing. 
Well, that kind of destroys the whole judge's argument, doesn't it? It's saddening and sickening that what we have, or we have judges saying, this person's testimony is invalid because I'm unwilling and the state is unwilling to investigate to find out if what they're saying can be corroborated by other witnesses. That is disgusting. And as far as I'm concerned, it smacks of bias, political bias. But getting back to this particular line of questioning, this young Democratic representative here, he is challenging her on the basis that, hey, you know what? This judge said he didn't like your testimony. Therefore, why should we listen to you? Yeah, well, if a judge told you, told you the sky isn't blue, it's pink or it's red, if a, if a judge told you that A is B and B is A at the same time in the same way, violating the law of non-contradiction, would you believe it because a judge said it? It doesn't matter what a judge says. It matters what his basis is for saying it and whether or not that basis is logical, reasonable, and represents a preponderance of evidence, represents evidence that would lead one to believe beyond a reasonable doubt that what he's saying is true. That's what matters. And I guess as I'm saying this, I'm, 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 I'm thinking to myself, why do I even have to explain this? Why does this have to be explained to the adult population of the United States? But it does. People don't know this. People don't realize the logical flaws inherent in all of these arguments. Anyone who watches this testimony and comes away not believing that the potential, both the potential and the likelihood of fraud are pretty enormous, they have a problem. I'm sorry. You're not thinking logically. You're out to lunch mentally, okay? You're either, you're dishonest and biased or you are literally, um, I don't, how do I say this in a, you're literally retarded in a, in a diagnosable psychological way. I don't mean that as an insult. I mean, you literally have an IQ that's under 70. So you either fit into one of those categories. Bias, perhaps maybe you're just totally ignorant. But like I said, if you, if you actually watch this stuff, you're not ignorant. So you're either biased at that point or you have an IQ under 70. And your opinion shouldn't be taken seriously. All right, now I'm going to move on to another little clip here where the Democratic uh, Representative Johnson, who I mentioned earlier, she is going to make an objection that I've heard now twice from her, which, among other things, I'm going to let this clip play through, but among other things, she says that these people are just being allowed to talk. She's upset that these people are being allowed to talk, basically, and share their experience and their eyewitness testimony, Okay. That's what she's upset about. And these people all worked at the building in Detroit where um, the TCS, I don't remember the exact name of the building now, but um, the building where they counted all the ballots at the end of the night, okay, or throughout the day and into the night and and into the next day. And um, she is upset that they're basically here and able to share their testimony. She's upset at the whole process. She's upset that they're, they're even being heard, apparently, according to what she's saying, because she just says they're, they're, willing to, they're able to sit here and talk and talk and talk, and you're willing to listen to them. And uh, she's upset about that, and she, she doesn't like the fact that, um, that uh, 
They're not under you, oath. Uh, Mr. Chair, I'm going to repeat it again. These people, our guests are sharing information, just sharing and sharing and speaking and speaking. No one is under oath. There are the world is watching us right now and the world is watching right now. The world's watching her sound like an idiot. One person after another who's testifying or who's making allegations because that's exactly what they are. Okay, let me stop there. They're making allegations. Can you believe that these people are here making allegations? She thinks somewhere in the recesses of her brain, she thinks the word allegation is somehow a pejorative that the word allegation means or insinuates that they're somehow incorrect, that they must be lying because they're making allegations. I'm sorry, everyone who comes to a court or to a hearing and who predicates, who makes statements of fact about something, who says that something happened, that they saw something, what have you, all of them are making allegations. Every time you open your mouth, you're alleging something. Okay? So it's not an argument against It doesn't insinuate that what they're saying is untrue simply by saying they're making allegations. But somewhere in her mind, she thinks that by saying that these are allegations, it somehow infers or insinuates that what they're saying isn't true, that it somehow uh, helps her argument. Now, again, listen to what she's saying. She's clearly upset that these people are just allowed to talk and talk and talk one after the other, one uh, one person coming forward after another and and they're able to share their allegations and this is somehow horrible and that the world is watching she just does not like the fact that these americans these run-of-the-mill typical everyday americans who aren't representatives or judges or elites or somehow in the establishment that they're allowed to share their opinions and share their testimony about what happened she doesn't like it And that bothers me, and that should bother you, too, I think. ...of of wrongdoing in the city of Detroit. I wonder, and I'm going to ask you the question, did you see any cameras at the TCF Center? No. All right, so... And, Representative, I just want to remind you, I, I think it was the purpose of today's hearing to hear from people across Michigan who witnessed things at the TCF Center. That's why we're here. Well, you know, here, here, and I'm not going to argue with you about that. Okay, so they're here, but they're taking so much time, and I see no Detroiters. There is one Detroiter. Stop that. As As if that's a valid argument. Is one Detroiter, but I have many emails. Okay, so she's upset that these are not Detroiters, I guess, even though Wayne County, they were working. So if you don't know, Wayne County is the county that counts its votes together, and Detroit is the largest city in that county. And I guess she's upset that some of these eyewitnesses aren't people who are from that city in particular, but that they're from the the county in some other cities roundabout and i can't think of any i i knew some of the names of some of the other cities in that county and i was going to say no but i don't remember who you have in this room to represent detroiters except a couple of us in this room i have emails from detroiters 
We've taken what two hours? What's your? Did you have a? This is unbelievable. This is unbelievable that her argument, the way she wants to rebut and treat these four witnesses who have come forward, three of them before her at this time, who have given testimony, two of them immigrants from India. Okay, she wants to slam them and attack them, and consider them uncredible or or. Uh, consider their time spent here listening to them a waste of time because they're not from the city of Detroit. Because they're from one of the other cities in the county. That's her argument. She has nothing to say about their actual testimony. She's upset because they're not from the city of Detroit. This is the kind of stuff that we're dealing with. If you don't see the logical fallacy there, you literally do have an IQ under 70, and I'm sorry. But... This is the, this is the, she's an elected representative and that's the form of argument she uses. I mean, I, this is the kind of stuff that makes me want to run for politics, even though I'm a free market anarchist, you know, I'm a, I'm an anarchist who doesn't believe in it, but I want to run for government just so I can get in there and make sure that people like that don't exist in politics. That's how bad this gets. You wouldn't catch me anywhere near a political office, but I'm tempted to run just so these people can't be in power. That's how ridiculous the sort of logic and the sort of reasoning that they, they utilize is to me. Now let's move on to another objection uh, that I saw regarding a testimony that was given, uh, one among many, which said that there were multiple ballots being counted multiple times. Uh, And um, the question is asked here in a a moment, I'm going to play the clip from one of the representatives saying, well, if multiple, if ballots were counted multiple times, then why don't we have more votes than we have uh, registered voters? Thank you, Representative Camilleri. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, So if what you're saying about the tabulation of ballots is true, and that some of these ballots were counted multiple times, why... uh, why is it that there are not more ballots than those who are tabulated in our poll book? Now, let me answer his question. The, the reason why is because as other eyewitnesses, multiple eyewitnesses have testified to and have sworn affidavits and in hearings like this, what they've said is that they saw uh, tabulators being told by their supervisors to do this, and so they did. So this happened in the tune, to the tune of thousands of ballots, multiple tens or hundreds of thousands of ballots at the TCF Center, what they did was they added these people's names to the poll books, to the QCF or QVF, the Qualified Voter um, uh, books. You know, So they basically said, okay, we don't know who these people are. They're unverified. Uh, we have these names. And what they did was they added them to the books using the same birth date, oftentimes just 1-1-2020, over and over and over again, using the same date, um, and adding these people's names in manually to the qualified voter file. So these people got added as, in as voters once they received the ballots, which is not the way it's supposed to work. You're supposed to go into a polling place, you write down your name, you sign, and then you go vote. That's how it's supposed to work. And if you did an absentee or mail-in ballot earlier in the couple months preceding the election, you would go in, you would approve your identity, you would give your information, sign, and then uh, they would check your signature against other signatures that they have from you. Uh, and I won't get into the details of that because I don't even know all the details. All I know is that they would check and verify up to four different 
examples of your signature with the one you're giving there at the at the uh, polling center, and then you would vote. So they would have um, they would have proof of identification and so on. And so what was happening was they were receiving these huge dumps of ballots in the middle of the night, and people testified to seeing what was happening when those ballots were brought in. By the way, in non closed, no chain of custody, um, unclosed um, buckets and baskets and things. They were bringing them into the TCF center. And they, they, in many cases, weren't even in envelopes. They were just open ballots, not in envelope. They were supposed to be in signed and sealed envelopes with signatures and all of that. And in many cases, these were just open ballots, sometimes in torn open um, envelopes, sometimes not in envelopes at all. The whole, this, this is just reeks of fraud. And so when you have multiple people giving testimony and sworn affidavits that they saw this happening and that when all these ballots came in at 4.30 in the morning, whenever it is, I've got it right here. Let's see, these are quotes from sworn affidavits. November 4th, 2020. This one in particular was at 9 p.m. He saw... He was surprised to see numerous new boxes of ballots arriving at the TCF center in the evening. I estimated these boxes, quoting from the affidavit, contained several thousand new ballots when they appeared. I saw the computer operators at several counting boards manually manually adding the names and addresses to these thousands of ballots in the QVF system. Now, many people swore that they saw that these addresses were all in places that couldn't have been addresses. They were... For example, um, P.O. boxes, which are not verifiable addresses that can legally be used in the state. Um, they saw thousands or hundreds that were on the same road. They saw people with, using the same addresses and so on. These are, these are massive problems. And again, adding people's um, dates of birth, uh, using the same, told to just use 1-1-2020 over and over again just to get them in the QVF file and then to have them, um, you know, to have the vote in there. That way, the QVF file, that way, the polling, as he called it, the polling books would match the number of voters or the number of votes they got. So he can say, and I don't even think then, and going back to the big um, scandal earlier with regard to Michigan, Wayne County certifying their vote, one of the reasons the two people who didn't want to certify the vote there in Wayne County on the board of canvassers, one of the, the primary reason that was given was because 71% of the polling precincts uh, voting books, poll books, didn't match up with the number of votes that they had. They had more votes than the people who signed in to vote, which is really problematic, right? And so when he says, well, the poll books lined up, and if, if, if what you're saying is true in your testimony to this woman here, if it were true, then we would have a lot more votes than the poll books show. Not the case, because we saw that what they did was they entered those people's names into the QVF, so they added those people's names to the poll books and counted the votes multiple times. Now, I don't know if what he's saying is even true. For all we know... The, the poll books um, may have said that uh, 200,000 people voted and they may have 300,000 votes. I don't know. I, I haven't looked into that. But I do know that if it does match up, 
and I'm, I'm actually assuming it doesn't, from what I've heard that Wayne County has never matched up in its history, that it has a long history of the number of people voting, outpacing, outnumbering the people who are in the poll books as showing up to vote. And I don't know if they, you know, I, I, there's a lot of questions that I have. But nevertheless, um, if, if, as long as they add people's names, as long as they add names to the poll books, it'll, it'll match up. So they can count, um, they can count, and I'm not sure how they could do this, but it is possible for them to count multiple ballots more than once and still add names to the QVF and show that more people voted. And I'm not saying that uh, I, I know how they did that. It's possible that they have a mechanism for looking at how many votes were tallied in the machines, and then they could just quickly go back to the QVF and add a bunch of fake names into the poll books to show that, yeah, the 50,000, say they had an extra 50,000 votes, they could just easily go add that to the QVF so it shows that 50,000 more people voted than actually did. Problem solved. You know, it is, there are lots of people who know how to do that sort of thing who were there that night. People, there's a video of people taking thumb drives in and out of the computers and the tabulation machines and stuff like that. Who knows what they were doing? My point is there needs to be an investigation because when you have so many eyewitnesses saying that they saw these things happening, you can't just discount it. When you literally have multiple eyewitnesses at the same place saying we saw this happening, you, you have to have an investigation. How do you not have an investigation? From this person's sworn affidavit, I'm going to read from this because it's interesting. He says, when I asked what the possible justification was to counting ballots from unknown unverified persons, I was told by election supervisors that the Wayne County Clerk's Office had, quote, checked them out. <laughs> right, I'm sure. And by the way, this person in their affidavit, they swear to 40,000 ballots um, being included in this process that, that he was questioning. So I'm not going to read this whole article, but there are enough affidavits out there and there are enough, uh, there's enough testimony given for there to be justification to having a real investigation at the very least. So I hope we can all agree on that. I hope we can all agree on a investigation. Let's get that going. And I don't think it's going to happen. I, I think what might end up happening, to be honest with you, is some of these states are just going to invalidate their elections. They're not going to certify them. And they're going to delegate or certify uh, their electors to vote for Trump. Honestly, I think that's what's going to happen in the end. We'll see. I don't know if that's a smart move. Uh, I don't even know if it's entirely. I mean, it is legal technically, but you know, it's, it's a gray area because a lot of these states have laws about how the electors can be assigned. And ultimately, it is up to the legislatures in the states to decide how they want to uh, delegate uh, their electors. But whether or not because they have laws on the books in most states, as far as I know, all states, that in some way... Uh, basically tie the hands of the legislature to going along with whatever the popular vote was in their state. But, you know, it is possible that maybe the legislatures can just pass resolutions saying, you know, we're not going to do that. We're going to decide which way our uh, electoral college electors are going to vote. And if that's the case, 
uh, many of these Republican legislatures can just decide to vote for Trump. So, so we'll see. But I've got to wrap it up because I spent an hour talking about these rebuttals to these eyewitnesses, and I really appreciate these eyewitnesses coming forward. Uh, I would be tempted to just write the whole thing off if, if it wasn't for hearing their testimony and reading their affidavits and so on. If they didn't go come forward, and hundreds of them, and the eyewitness, uh, I, I'm sorry, not the eyewitness, but the, uh, the expert testimony as well, a lot of experts out there talking about the mathematical anomalies and so on, and the stuff I've read on that is really interesting as well. So if it wasn't for those people, I would just say, no, there, there's not enough evidence for it. I would say it's possible because I, I've, I've, I've known it's possible paying attention to the papers and articles and things I've read about black box voting in the past. But I still would say there's, there's probably not enough evidence. But now I just, there's just no way that, as far as I'm concerned, these elections can be certified. So with that, I'll wrap it up. Go to adamspeaking.com forward slash support if you want to support the show. Adam Angst is my username on Cash App if you want to send dough that way. Adamspeaking.com is the website where I just wrote an awesome article the other day, uh, yesterday, I think. No, the day before. And that article was about, well, I'll give you the title. I won't tell you what it was about. You can go check it out if the title sounds interesting to you and it's meant to be provocative. It's meant to be provocative, but don't think for a minute that you understand my assumptions by the title. The title is CNN's Van Jones credits George Soros-funded bribery of Native Americans for alleged Biden victory. It's a very interesting article. No, I'm not one of those people who just immediately assumes that if Soros is related to something that it's nefarious and evil and that George Soros is an evil person who's trying to rule the world. He has given $32 billion. He does have a political agenda. He does have a certain leftist agenda. There's people on the right who have a right-leaning agenda, of course, the Koch brothers. And it's good to know where the, who, where the money's coming from. And, you know, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's nefarious and evil and so on. I'm not one of those people who gets into that sort of thinking. But it is interesting to note, hey, there's a lot of money behind this. And this happened, what, what his money ended up going to something that was illegal. They were basically paying off Native Americans to vote, which is illegal. So go check out that article if you're interested in that. I took a bunch of data from several different articles all over and um, uh, put it into one long piece on the subject, which is often what I tend to do. I like to take a lot of things that I've put together from lots of different sources and put it into one longer, more long-form and thoughtful piece. So adamspeaking.com is the website for my articles. And some of them are really long, really, you know, 5,000 words. And then some of them are shorter, you know, 1,000 words or so. So go check that out if you like to read. But I'm assuming if you're here, you like to listen more than you like to read. So stay tuned and I'll be back with more soon. Don't forget, go find something true, good and beautiful in this world to focus on. Don't sit and think about politics all day because it's just not worth it. And you're not going to find truth and goodness and beauty in politics, my friends. Peace.